Hello and welcome to The Intersection, which is season two of the Racial Equity Enrichment Podcast. I am your host, Ebony Walden, urban planner and equity and inclusion consultant, as well as the creative of the Richmond Racial Equity Essays. Last season, we had guests on to talk about their vision for racial equity, specifically in Richmond and how do we get there. This season, I will invite guests from various intersections of racial justice and equity, and place from around the country to talk about their work and to specifically answer the questions of what now and what next. After heightened awareness of the need for racial justice and uh, equity during the pandemic and the murder of George Floyd and corresponding protests, you know, uh, the work around racial equity or the conversation has cooled as part of public conversation and discourse, although the folks that were working on it before are still working on it. Today, we're uh, gonna be meeting at the intersection of race and place with our guest, Waikin Garrett from uh, Africatown uh, Community Land Trust in Seattle, Washington, a nationally recognized anti-displacement community development organization. Thanks for joining me today, Waikin. To kick things off, uh, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself, telling us where are you from, what's the work you do, and maybe just to kind of get to know you a little bit, um, a pivotal moment that brought you to the work that you do. Sure, and um, thank you, Ebony, for uh, reaching out to uh, have this conversation. So, yes, KY King Garrett, I am a uh, third generation uh, community builder from the Central District, uh, Seattle, Washington, beloved be our Africa town. I grew up in many ways on the front lines um, of struggle for black liberation, equity, justice, um, and the current work um, that I'm doing. I serve as president and CEO of Africatown Community Land Trust, which is focused on acquiring, which is focused on acquiring, um, developing, and um, stewarding land to facilitate a future um, of thriving for the historic black community that has been in uh, the Central District neighborhood in Seattle for over 140 years, but has faced significant gentrification wow. and displacement, you know, from 80% uh, black population towards 10%. So our work is around uh, allowing, you know, uh, acquiring and, and developing uh, affordable housing uh, space, businesses, uh, you know, buildings don't build community, so also there's cultural placemaking, um, legacy preservation, um, and um, <clears throat> uh, to allow the community to grow and thrive in place again in the face of very aggressive uh, gentrification and displacement as our community has not been included in the economic uh, growth of in the tech-based, knowledge-based industry sectors in the area which are driving a, a lot of this. So. Um, that's our work. Our work is, uh, uh, is for Africa Town. The concept is around maintaining space for the beauty, the brilliance, and the best of a black experience. Um, and that's to be able to I love all of that. be a baseline or 
database for us to draw from as we build our communities, our thriving communities of the future. So working really about building thriving black communities um, powered by, you know, the great legacy and contributions of our of those who have come before us here in this community across this country and throughout the world and time. I got a couple of follow-up questions about uh, Africatown because I think it's a really interesting concept and just to let our listeners know a little bit about what a community land trust is. Before we get into that, I'm interested in you as a person. Can you tell us a story or something that really kind of got you into this work? I think people love uh, innovative strategies, but what they love even more is the stories and the motivation and the impetus they get folks. So what was something that, that turned your light on in regards to this work that got you, what was a pivotal moment um, and experience that really got you to your work that can uh, give listeners a little bit uh, just about who you are? Yeah, so I, I mean, I would say it's just, you know, part of the DNA of the life experience that I've had, you know, um, like I said, third generation kind of community building in this particular uh, neighborhood and community. My grandfather was first black electrical engineer in area, helped co-found only black bank that was here in, in, in this area, Liberty Bank. Um, and my father was really um, active um, in terms of uh, working towards uh, black liberation and freedom and immersing that struggle um, from a young age. So, uh, you know, really a lot of kind of this on-the-job training and you know, example that we can, we have, we, we have agency, you know, but we have to choose to really um, embrace that to self-determine and influence, you know, the world that we, we live in. Uh, you know, when I was eight years old, I was involved in, my, my father led the occupation of a historic school, Coleman School, to um, become an African, a world-class African-American Heritage Museum and Culture Center. And really to serve as an anchor institution mm. as gentrification and the crack and the gangs were on the way to our to our neighborhood and, and just having that foresight. And so that became the longest or was recorded as the longest act of civil disobedience, you know, or you know, uh, <clears throat> occupation in, in in the history, you know, other than the land itself being occupied. And so just going through that process of you know, interfacing with politicians and stakeholders and just seeing all the dynamics and forces that are, you know, at play, seeing wins, seeing losses, seeing, you know, just what that kind of struggle, you know, looks like, gave me a lot of insight, you know, being, a, you know, being a part of participating in board of directors at a, you know, at, a, at a younger age. And it gave me insight basically into our individual power, but also the institutional and systemic forces that we face um, as black people uh, in, a, in, a, in America and, and in this world under a real dominant, you know, white supremacist um, <clears throat> kind of re regime over the last five hundred years. Yeah, so I love that it's in your it's in your blood, it's in your DNA. This is kind of passed down from you from generation to generation. And I love that you. Are living that out. I spent about six months in Seattle. I was doing the fellowship, and I think 
I, I, I lived on 23rd and Yesler, which should probably be relatively near or in the central area. No, that is. That's right in the heart. That's, that's where I next by you were near the library, you know, and there's a fire station. I don't know what time. And recently we have transformed that fire station into the William Gross Center for Cultural Innovation and Innovation Hub to, you know, bring our community into knowledge base and creative industry sectors that are thriving here, provide STEM based education and, and 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 startup and entrepreneur resources and technical support. So you you were right in the midst of things. There we go. So I was like, I think that's pretty much this. I mean, it was like 25 years ago, literally. Or no, no, 20 years ago. It was right after I graduated from undergrad. So it would have been kind of the 2020, not 20, uh, 02 to, to 03. I think it was like September to January, February. The I was right there, 23rd. Completely changed and, over at that time, right? So you yeah, yeah, I think that they had just gotten like a first, I mean, it was beginnings of justification because I remember there was a first yeah. like Starbucks or something there yeah. and folks were super surprised yes. that it was successful yes. because the notion yes. that black people don't drink coffee, but that was probably the first thing in the tipping point to that that was leading to gentrification. So I'm interested before we get into our central question of what, what now, what next. So there's Africatown Community Land Trust, Africatown, interesting name. Tell me a little bit about the name and then for our listeners, why a community land trust? Why was that important for you all? Sure. So the name Africatown really was just derived as a result of, uh, well, hey, what do you consider a community of Chinese people anywhere outside of China, right? Chinatown. Right. So it was like, well, what do you consider a community of black people, Af- people of African descent outside of Africa? And uh, the answers that we normally got were like the hood, you know, ghetto, you know, things that a negative mm. narrative around our, our, our space, um, not only here and, you know, or in the diaspora, but also the continent of Africa, you know, brought up as a place of deficit, famine, you know, civil war, conflict, in need of aid. Our communities here, a place to escape, you know, clutch your bag a little, you know, tighter, look over your shoulder and, and, and get away from if you can, if you can and avoid, right? But yet these are the places um, that have given, you know, the world so much, right? In this country, the cultural legacies, the, you know, all of these things derived out of our community, even though we are, we have been deprived, you know, we have given, you know, so much. Uh, and then obviously Africa being the birthplace of humanity, you know, different world civilizations, science, math, you know, religion, all of these things, right? But that's not the narrative. Mm. So the question was just like, why don't we have, you know, Africa town, you know? And so that's how it initially, uh, developed and then saying, you know, looking at our collective experience, you know, uh, as one jewel with many facets, right? So when you say, you know, you have, you know, continental African experience, which is very diverse, you have the diaspora, black experience from the U.S., which is diverse in itself, but you have Caribbean, you have Afro-Latino, you have Central and South America, yeah. America, right? So all of the, you know, Asiatic, right? We have, you know, in Europe, you know, so if we thought about building our future communities, taking the best and the greatest from all of those experiences, right, then we're dealing with a very rich 
database and toolbox of both inspiration and example, you know, just in the principle of Sankofa to look back, you know, as you go forward. Um, and so that's how it came. And then through the process of research and doing the work, learned about the great, but in many ways untold history of Africatown in Mobile, Alabama, which has recently become much more prominent with the discovery of the Clotilda and, and things of that nature. So, so that's, that's kind of the origins of, of it here in, in, in Seattle, just really an evolution, even during the time of, of, of the black, you know, struggle and the black power movement, you know, just like, hey, that was a missed opportunity to actually self-determine and name the spaces that we, that we exist in, you know, from an asset-based perspective. So Africatown is an asset-based community development initiative, again, rooted in the greatness, you know, of our past, powered by legacy, and, and then, you know, also the brilliance that exists among us in now and contemporary times, and just bringing some of that as it's powering everything else and everyone else's, you know, um, <clears throat> enterprises and, and, and institutions to bring some of that to address the conditions and improve the conditions in our own community. So it's really a vessel in a, in a vehicle. Yes, and the community land trust, as I understand it, is a mechanism, usually nonprofit organization that holds land, right, in, in community, keeping it affordable. Correct. You all, it seems, right. have done a lot or, or hope to do a lot more commercial activity, right, which is a different yeah. play on the community land trust, which I think is a wonderful progression. Tell us about what you're looking forward to uh, in your work as it relates to sure. anti-displacement, anti-identification, right. and I would imagine some uh, core kind of economic development that keeps and builds up the community from a wealth building perspective. Yes. Yeah, so again, Africatown as a larger concept and asset-based community development initiative strategy came first. In 2013-14, in looking at the Seattle 2035, which is a comprehensive plan for the city of Seattle, we didn't see a future, our community. I didn't see my, you know, my children, you know, the children of my peers, the community uh, as a part of that future. So we initiated our own process, planning process, Black Seattle 2035. Ah. And in the midst of that, there were some specific land acquisition targets, which included the former site of Liberty Bank. And then there was another site across the street from that was a square block where many Midtown Center, where many black businesses had um, been at this intersection of 23rd and Union, which has really been kind of an epicenter of black commercial and cultural activity for many generations. And so in the process of figuring out how to acquire and what would be the best vehicle, um, knowing that if we did not acquire it, it likely would not further have any black presence there. Um, the land trust was was uh, identified as a model to acquire and hold land for the, the benefit of community. Our initial projects have been multi-family, mixed-use, affordable rental, kind of larger scale projects, whereas traditionally land trusts are, are more single-family residential affordable home ownership. We are moving in that direction, but again, with the rapid pace of gentrification and displacement pressures, attached to rent, right? Some people are moving because of the cost of rent as well as the cost of, uh, of purchasing a home. We thought that we could have greater impact and be able to serve a greater volume of people to have a population going forward through the affordable rental projects and then working towards the affordable home ownership. So as people move forward 
um, once we're able to stabilize with affordable, you know, the rental and they're able to access, you know, some economic mobility through other you know, initiatives and resources um, that when they get to a point to purchase, then they don't have to leave the community, you know, at that time. So it's really solving for an ecosystem of needs. And then there's commercial space, right? So it's not just residents that are being displaced, but our businesses are, you know, with the cost of commercial space uh, increasing significantly, organizations, community-based organizations, et cetera. So we really, again, look at a comprehensive community development approach that includes both the development, but also um, the other things that make up the community, which is which are businesses, cultural spaces, activities, entities, and so on and so forth. Lovely. I love the whole idea of it, that it's it's not one block or one building. It's looking at the entire community and say, and saying this is changing. We have been. It sounds like almost 150 years. has been a strong black presence there, um, and that's shifted and changing. And how can we uh, maintain the presence, the culture, the vibrancy that of African American culture into the future? I love that. Right. So my work is at that intersection too. Um, and how I got connected to, I'm an urban planner, so how I got connected to the work. I was about eight years old, too. You have an eight-year-old story. When I moved and I saw that the community I lived in, black and brown community, um, and there was a white community to the north and the south, and those communities, you know, there was better shopping, better landscape, schools, and all that. And I was like, well, I want to create communities where... We're, we're thriving and we're black and we're brown and we're thriving um, from cultural perspective, from economic perspective, but housing and all the other things that make up a community. So that I love that y'all are intentionally trying to do that with the principles of community development, which of course I've tried to live out and study in school. Let's transition a little bit. So it's been three years since the beginning of the pandemic, um, which was an interesting time <laughs> globally. Um, it's an interesting time in racial justice work, racial awareness in our country. I think it increased because everybody was at home watching. You had the tragic murder of George Floyd. You have subsequent protests around the country. I'm sure it was lively in Seattle. It definitely was here in Richmond as uh, monuments came down um, and just lots of activity. So, so tell me, how did Seattle shift or change? If at all, in light of that, and then what's what's the tenor now? What's the conversation now, uh, three years later? Sure. Um, so, one thing about Seattle, it has a very progressive, liberal, you know, kind of identity um, externally facing, right? But when we look at what has happened with the black community that has been here, you know, before Washington was even a state. And we look at the numbers and the statistics and we see that, you know, black wealth is, you know, at the bottom, median income is at the bottom, you know, less than half, you know, of whites, you know, and others, then a different story is being told when we look at, you know, the amount of displacement that's happened. So we don't have the um, outward or, you know, overt, you know, racism, but the results speak to some systemic right, racism. Right, the outcomes are the same, right? Happening. The outcomes speak to, you know, the reality. And so through, you know, 2020, obviously this, you know, brought some things to uh, 
back to the forefront, you know, that had never, you know, went away. Um, and so, you know, out of our work, an entity, King County Equity Now, was born mm-hmm. and really focused on making sure the conversation centered on equity being defined as ownership, right? And capital, so land and access to capital to develop and, you know, self-determine our futures and then control over the resources that are supposed to impact our lives. We know that, you know, just the nonprofit industrial complex has been built over the last 50 years. It's usually, you know, black faces on, you know, the brochure, black stories of pain and, you know, et cetera, suffering at the annual breakfast or fundraiser luncheon, but seldomly blacks are in control you know, of the resource or even in the positions. And so, again, you know, we see, you know, a sh- you know, we focus on shifting mm-hmm. that to our control, equity, um, and then ultimately reparations, you know, um, because there's well-documented, you know, the harm that has happened. And so our focus is really on, you know, reparations for the, the, the past harm as, in a sense, a ground zero um, to move towards equity, um, so yeah, reparations for you know the descendants of shadow slavery in America, whose labor, wealth, and capital was maldistributed, and that is really the root of the economic disparities, right? And so, if we're going to um, address those and move towards any semblance of equity, just in economics, there does have to be redistribution uh, of the labor capital and the wealth that was derived from it as a baseline. Right. And, and then, you know, obviously there's a whole social side in terms of us being stripped of our cultural capital, our identity, our name, our religion, our, you know, you know, traditions, you know, and, and obviously that leaves us vulnerable to a lot of the other negative social forces that are happening and producing the circumstances that we see in our in our communities today that have been you know, labeled as, you know, pathologies, but they have been socially right. engineered into our community. So, yeah, those are some of the primary issues. We wanted to be really focused, um, and we did, you know, land wasn't quiet. These issues were the, the, at, the at the forefront. Um, you know, there was a lot of proclamations made by, you know, institutions, corporations, and, you know, it seemed that there was a lot of focus or elevation of these things leading up to the elections. And then mm. once the election, you know, happened and there was a change, the focus, uh, and the spotlight also changed, but the circumstances have not changed, right? So these conditions still exist, um, whether it's from, you know, extrajudicial murder to all of the, you know, economic disparities, the health disparities, you know, every, you know, the disparities along every quality of life indicator uh, still exist. And so they, I think, you know, some people are still working a bit, um, on those things, but definitely we have to continue to elevate and push for solutions and investments that are needed to bring about uh, the change that a lot of people have said they would like to see in the society. So the effort that you were talking about, was it King County Equity Now? It was, is that like a coalition or how did, how did you all fit into that? Were y'all leading it? Was it as a partnership effort or tell me a little bit more about that. It was a, it was a campaign that you know, um, manifested into uh, a coalition and um, really just became an ongoing entity to focus on um, closing the racial wealth gap, research, at policy development, 
advocacy and amplification of solutions to um, actually close the racial gap. So it does still exist and um, is, is, is functioning to continue to move forward an agenda for a new normal rooted in equity. I love that. So, so tell me about some next steps you all are taking, either with that initiative or with Africa Town. What is something transformative, one or two transformative things that you're looking forward to in your work that we can learn from as we answer the question uh, as a nation, as different cities across the nation, what's next? So if you could give us a little insight into the, some of the projects or solutions that you're looking forward to um, kind of at, at your intersection of thinking about upending systemic racism as it relates to the wealth gap in Seattle. Yeah, that's a definitely a big, big issue to address. I think at a high level, it's really increasing awareness about what really needs to happen to do that, right? It's not just a program, it's not just a grant, you know, but there has to be bold investments, you know, to achieve a new normal rooted in equity. Um, reparations still at the forefront of that, you know, and, you know, again, we go from shadow slavery and Jim Crow to, you know, redlining to, um, you know, urban removal to proliferation of drugs into the community, followed by crime, you know, quote-unquote war on crime, you know, crime bills and all the things um, that led to mass incarceration and the press. So, you know, there has to be an assessment of the harm and negative impact and then um, compensatory actions and investments to uh, repair and restore. Um, for us, again, continue to be in the development space and development and build capacity. Um, we see our projects not as the end all, but again, um, showing possibilities. Uh, a lot of times if I'm traveling to other places and sharing what we've learned, um, it, it's that, you know, I, I say I'm from the future and I can tell you how this movie ends, but here, if you take these tools, you take, you know, and, and begin to implement some of these things now, you can determine a, another future, right? So I think us just taking ownership of things that are happening in our environment is important. Building our capacity as a developer, again, pushing for uh, additional uh, access to more access to capital is key. Um, building the capacity of you know black contractors, you know black architects, design firms, right? So when we think about the life cycle, the ecosystem of development you know, in our community, you know, nothing about us without us, right? Absolutely. You know, for us, by us, our approach. And we encourage others to do that. We will continue to build that. We see other entities in our community stepping into the space so that we can have impact at scale. And so we're, you know, focused on uh, building out our Africatown Cultural Innovation District, you know, to really um, just imagine, design, and build this future of us uh, thriving. Again, you know, any one project is not going to change everything, but what it does transform first is the sense of possibility. Mm. That's very important, what we actually think can happen, right? And so now people know these things can happen because the bricks and mortar, these projects are actually coming into uh, existence. And so we are, you know, creating models that we can 
share, replicate in other areas where, you know, we know everyone's not coming back to the historic neighborhood. We are definitely focused on preserving that sense of place and having it, but also in the other places where we're settling, you know, we are populations and not necessarily communities yet. So what do the community, what do those models for building community look like? What can we share? What can, again, we replicate and scale into other places? And then I think lastly, you know, training the next generation. Um, one thing that I think there's been definitely an issue with is, you know, the passing of the torch, continuity and succession planning and institutionalizing our, our efforts because, you know, it's not any one person or one, you know, organization or one program that is producing the conditions, but the institutions in our community, whether education, financial, you know, medical, right, that produce the issues, the, the things, and obviously they're made up of people systems and processes. So how do we begin again to build the institutions that are committed to our well-being? Um, and a big part of that is developing our, our succession and our future generations so that each one can take the benefit of, of, of what has happened and what we've done and build and positively iterate on that, which is how, you know, innovation or anything happens. It's an iterative process of learning. Yes, I love that. It's emergent. Learning doing right so each generation takes it further and we we, we've had you know um for many reasons uh our institutional development has been um suppressed so i think that's the ultimate is to institutionalize the work that we're doing in this time so that again can 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 be present and continue 10 years 20 years 30 years even if you look at gentrification it's a 30 30 to 40 year process of gentrification that we're, that we're seeing coming to bear. So we also have to plan for the future. So that's a big part of like, what is our, what is our overall kind of community development master plan to build that which uh, benefits for us. So that's, those are some of the key things is continuing to, to build, acquire and build, leverage our development activity to support, you know, black businesses, contractors, um, training the next you know, generation. Um, establishing models and, 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 and replicable models. So, uh, two last questions about before we head out. So, you very uh, keenly uh, identify some steps, some kind of what you all have in the pipeline. Can you identify or highlight a specific project that you are working on, or have worked on, or you look forward to working on that? is emblematic of some of the themes that you talked about today, right? Of, of ownership, of closing the gap. Is, is, has that come to fruition in a specific project that you can quickly tell us about? Like, hey, I'm excited, we've done this or we're doing this. I wanna tell the world about it because it provides lessons for other community development practitioners around the country. Uh, sure. Um, and, and like I said, I, don't, I, don't, I definitely don't think we, we're there yeah, yet. Yeah, it can right? be. So, future like this is what we're, we're looking for yeah. for us because the forces that we're working against are, are very significant you know and entrenched but the Africa Town Plaza project which is our uh, the, the second project after the Liberty Bank building that we you know we, we we're, we're embarking on the first project we're really the lead developer we're partnered with another affordable housing developer um, again because of just the institutional issues around development and access to capital, we're forced to have these partnerships. So that's an equity issue that we're striving to address so that we can stand and develop on our own. But this is the first project that we're 
leading. So we selected the architectural firms, you know, the design, Wonderful. the general contract. Through this process, we've been able to maximize the participation of, you know, black architects. We had to, and in many ways, um, kind of hack together or, 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 or our, our design team, right? Um, from different, you know, um, agencies to, to, to get that. Um, our, the general contractor is a, a joint venture between a smaller, uh, black owned, a larger firm to build the capacity in the, you know, so, um, we currently have over 50%, you know, black contractor participation in this project, which is, you know, the contract is $35 you know, million, project is $60 million. And so that's unprecedented in this area. So really, you know, everyone has said they want to have black participation, but for whatever reason, they right, don't and achieve it. Doing it. And so now, again, we are on what's possible, right? Whereas at Liberty Bank building, 20% was achieved and people thought that was like amazing. And we're like, ah, that's not, you know, <laughs> black project with 20% so y'all doubled it. Project. Yes. And, and so, so now, again, not just for our projects, it sets a bar, but for anyone who says they're committed to equity, now there's a path to achieve it. We, we know it can be done. So that is, you know, a project. And then even the design of the building is very different from the other you know, uh, the other architecture, there's Afrocentric mm. you know, we think it should also be reflected in the built environment, you know, and the design should, you know, reflect uh, our unique ways of, of being, our journeys, our, our, our ways our of gathering. Our use of space, yeah. Design affords and, and unaffords, right? So what is being afforded by design and for who, right? And so there's many within this project, there's been a significant progression if we go to the Liberty Bank building project that, that through affirmative market to further fair housing, it, it leased up at 90% people that historic ties to the community that were at risk or have been displaced and able to come back. The three commercial spaces have, you know, black businesses that are from yeah. the community. Uh, barbershop that was at risk of displacement after being on the corner for 30 years. Earl's Cuts and Styles, a restaurant, communion. Um, a longtime caterer in the community, uh, mother-son duo, Christy Brown and, and Damon Bomar, had, after opening, was recognized as one of the 12 best new restaurants in the world, have been awarded, you know, nominated for James Beard Award. So again, knowing that this brilliance and greatness exists in our community, it just needs space, right? And so our commitment is to provide space for the best and the brilliance and the beauty of our community to be able to flourish and thrive as a benefit, not just for our community, but ultimately it benefits, it adds value for, for everyone. So those are some of the things that I, and the last one I would just say is the William Grove Center for Cultural Innovation, um, really being the epicenter of our, of our, our ecosystem, our innovation, our, our, our business development and, and, and entrepreneurship ecosystem, providing uh, training for our young people, business, workforce development to really bring their genius into the I greater economy. Wonderful. So. Thank you for sharing all that. I think it, in so many levels, I love it, in so many levels of the project, you're bringing in equity and not just bringing it in and keeping it at the forefront, 
but but moving yourself forward. You know, say we started at 20 and we moved up to at 40. Like that's not good enough what everybody else is achieving. And how do we make sure these spaces are actually reflective of our community past, present and future, right? And so many projects don't look at all of those elements of what it means to be for us, by us. So I commend you for that. Uh, we got a couple of, go ahead. Yeah, I would just add that we developed the Af- uh, uh, equitable development framework to guide the project and measure oh, the project. Okay, so I each love that. project, there, there are KPIs, right, in terms of basically budget and square feet and how that's allocated to determine how equitable the project is. And it starts with ownership. So how much of the project does the community actually own? Then it goes to how did the community participate in the economic opportunities based on the development? And then how is the space allocated and how much of the space is, you know, occupied, whether residential or commercial, by, you know, our, our community members. So each project can be measured. We can measure ourselves. We can be measured. And we can measure other projects because some of these words are thrown around. Right, exactly. Like, hey, what what does that mean, right? What does, really, what does it really mean? And how do we know when we're there or we're almost there and where we're, you know, light years away from it, right? And so now we have some object, objective um and, and, I, and I love that yeah. from a data perspective, because that's how you you tell whether you're progressing or not. Right. Of Just the, the fact that you can say this was our participation last time. This is this time. This is our who's owning, who's occupying. All of those things, I think, are key elements that we need to keep track of. We need to be paying attention to and intentional about in our projects and how how is how is this space performing? How is it benefiting community? How is it benefiting Black people in particular, um, I think that. So mm-hmm. I commend you for for taking that focus and that level of detail. The ribbon cuttings and the, the groundbreakers and ribbon cuttings feel good, but you do have to go to the numbers to know. Where yeah, it is yeah. Really- how is this performing? How is this benefiting community? Um, on, and various people at various levels. So not just business owners for everything from contractors to business owners to who's coming in the doors, right? And to who's um, who's renting and and who is going to be owning this space. So I love the, the level of intention of regards to equity and the, the level of looking towards the future, right? So you, you're trying to outdo yourself that from you did last time, and I'm sure you'll continue to do that. Last question as we go out quickly, could you give us one thing that you do as a community activist, advocate, organizer to really ground yourself um, and keep moving towards liberation. So what do you do to ground yourself, to take care of yourself? What are some of your liberatory or one of your liberatory practices that keep you grounded? Uh, re- reading and, and, and being inspired by, and learning from, you know, being inspired by the successes and learning from, you know, um, the, the challenges of the past. You know, we, we are not the first ones to embark on any of this work and, um, we, you know, our story also doesn't start in shadow slavery or in oppression, you know, um, and so reading and really understanding um, and getting a knowledge and wisdom of, you know, of, of, of our longer experience, you know, as well as contemporary things that we're doing um, in, in our communities around the country, around the world, um, is one way to, to, to stay grounded or to stay in a sense, humble, right? That we're just we're 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 vehicles, right? And as they, you know, there's just you know the concept of the Nipsey elevated of the marathon, but it's also a relay, right? Absolutely, we're, we're carrying our our part of the baton, and there's something 
something for us to 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 learn from and and, and be mindful that we're standing on other shoulders. The continuous improvement. Insights to to exactly to continuously improve and we say nothing new under the sun so I, I love the sankofa element but i love the, the kind of like what does this look like in the future how can i continue to learn this oh, absolutely that. absolutely a future powered by legacy ah that's, that's, i love that all right you gave us a wonderful tagline uh or uh, a wisdom uh to end on i thank you so much not only for your work but coming to stop by the intersection today why king you can find uh african town community land trust at uh, africatownlandtrust.org you can find out about the work that they do and the projects or you can uh, look up Joaquin Garrett he's doing amazing work here or there in Seattle I thank you Joaquin I thank you for coming with us and this has been the Intersection Podcast where we have guests talk about the intersection of systemic racism and place in their communities as well as the solutions or strategies that will get us towards a more equitable future Thank you all for listening. Until next time.